I'm so glad you're here today. I really am. And we're in Numbers 29, if you want to turn there. And um, I'm going to be covering a number of scriptures this morning, so if you have a pen, you might want to write some verses down, because we're Bereans. And being a Berean means that you, re you receive the message with eagerness, but then you examine the scriptures to make sure I'm telling you the truth. And that's what Paul tells us, you know, that we're to receive the message with all eagerness, but daily examine the scriptures to see that all things are true. So anyway, a um, few announcements first. We're going to be having our church picnic in August, our first church picnic. And also in September, September 12th, we're going to be having a marriage seminar from 9 to 2. And... Uh, you know, when, when we have a marriage seminar, it's just not for people who are having problems. You know, some people say, well, I don't need to go to that. I've got a good marriage. A marriage seminar can be very encouraging. If you have difficulties, it can help you work some things out. And if you don't have difficulties, it can really encourage you. And it's just a chance to be together with other couples to be able to encourage one another in the Lord. And also in September, I, I don't actually um, have the poster out there yet, but uh, New Hope uh, Family Services is going to be having their uh, fall banquet. And they're having, uh, what's the football player's name, Frank? Ben Watson. He was the MVP with the New England Patriots. And uh, so he's going to be the main speaker. And so if you are interested, we'll be having a poster out there that you might be able to uh, get tickets. I actually got tickets for Vi and I and Frank and Nikki already. Can't wait. Um, let's pray. Father, we come before you in Jesus, Yeshua's name, and how thankful we are just for the beauty of holiness. How thankful we are for the act of redemption that you performed in our behalf. And that through you, we have the assurance of eternal life. And I pray, Father, that you would help us break open your word this morning, that it would not only speak to our heart, but it would minister to the deepest parts of our soul. And so, Father, I pray that you would anoint me with your Holy Spirit, that the words I speak would not be my own, but yours. I pray I truly would be hidden behind the cross. Now come and use me to minister to these, your precious people, I pray in Jesus' name, amen. You know, I love it when we're singing that song, Alleluia. You know, it's the, in Hebrew, it's actually Hallelujah. And it means, I praise you greatly, Yah, Yahweh, the Lord. It's the highest term of praise in the Hebrew language is hallelujah. It's the highest term of praise. So when we sing that hallelujah, what a Savior, it just blesses me. You know, um, I don't think any of us are unaware that we're living in very strange times. Is there anyone here who's not aware of that? I'll help you explain. We're living in very strange times. But the reality is that we have to realize as believers, we don't have to be all concerned about storing food or storing water or finding some place to hide and buy more ammunition to shoot people who are trying to get our food in Jesus' name, you know. And uh, we don't have to do any of those things. They're silly. You know why? Because we have this. This is amazing. And what we're going to look at this morning is going to help us have peace through the times in which we're living, because we are on the precipice of probably the most exciting times the Christian world, the world has ever seen. And uh, we've been going over the feast days, and there were seven feasts that were actually given to the Jews that were required to be celebrated. 
and there were uh, three uh, spring, or spring feasts, and there were four fall feasts. And uh, as we get into this, we'll find out that all seven of these feasts were looking to Jesus, and we'll talk about that more in a minute. But in this particular portion, it really emphasizes the Feast of Trumpets, which is also called um, Rosh Hashanah, and that's Hebrew for the head of the year. It's the civil new year for the Jews, and it's still celebrated to this day. And um, the thing we have to understand is that we're living in the last days. There's absolutely no doubt about that. And we're going to be looking at the significance of the Feast of Trumpets, how it relates to us in the days in which we're living. And so this was one of the uh, Jewish festivals, the Feast of Trumpets, that was appointed of the Lord. And we're going to find this feast and the other three feasts took place in the month of Tishri, uh, which is our September, October. Now, the Feast of Trumpets... The Feast of Unleavened Bread, the Day of Atonement, and the Feast of Tabernacle started uh, four months after the end of the spring festivals. And all four of these feasts take place, as I mentioned, in the month of Tishri on the Hebrew calendar. And it's interesting because Jesus Christ is the focus of all seven of these feast days. The three... Three... I was a math major. The three, the three feast days that Jesus has already fulfilled, and then there are four feast days that are yet to be fulfilled. So three of the feast days look back on what Jesus has accomplished, and the four feast days that we're going to be looking at this morning look ahead to what Jesus is going to do. And he already accomplished the first three, and the next four, you can be sure, will be accomplished. Now, the very idea of the trumpet sounding, as far as the Feast of Trumpets was concerned, it was to sound an alarm. Now, the alarm that was sounded was not, oh, the enemy's coming. The alarm was sounded to repent, for the day of the Lord is near. That was the meaning of the Feast of Trumpets. It was a day and a time of repentance. Now, understand, and this is important, the Feast of Trumpets is not to be confused with the seven trumpet judgments. That's totally different. That takes place at the end of the age. It takes place just before the Lord's return. This Feast of Trumpets is looking to his coming to take his church out of the world. Now, the Feast of Trumpets, along with the other six festivals of the Lord, as I mentioned, they foreshadowed uh, certain aspects of the ministry of Jesus Christ. And the prophets also linked these feasts with the coming of their Messiah. Now, the blowing of the trumpet referred to a future day of judgment. And we find this, if you take notes, in Joel chapter 2 and verse 1. And look at, listen to what it says. Blow the trumpet in Zion and sound an alarm in my holy mountain. Let all the inhabitants of the land tremble, for the day of the Lord is coming, for it is at hand. And brothers and sisters, the day of the Lord is coming. It is at hand. And then in Zephaniah, I'm going to read chapter 1, verse 14, and then 16 um, through 18. The great day of the Lord is near. 
It is near and hastens quickly. Verse 17, I will bring distress upon men, which is what we're experiencing now, and they shall um, walk like blind men because they have sinned against the Lord. Their blood shall be poured out like dust and their flesh like refuse. Neither their silver nor their gold shall be able to deliver them in the day of the Lord's wrath. So Zephaniah is telling us, that there's going to be a time that the trumpet is blown, and it's going to be just prior to God's wrath being poured out. And when God's wrath is poured out, your fame, your fortune will be of no use to you. And we have to understand that. The whole seven years of tribulation that we speak of in the book of Revelation are God's wrath, God's judgment being poured out on the world. There's not going to be three and a half years, as some teachings, you know, uh, say, where everything's going to be kind of okay, and then the last three and a half years, everything goes crazy. From the very moment the church is raptured, God's wrath is poured out on the world. Mountains are laid low. Cities, you know, are, are flattened. So there's no time after the rapture of the church, that things are going to be peaceful on earth. It's this wrath that's being talked about in Zephaniah. And that's the reason we as believers need to be ready. And not only do we need to be ready, but we need to be making the most of every opportunity to share our faith with the lost. See, here's the thing. You children are not in darkness that this day should overtake you like a thief in the night. We're not in darkness. We're, we, we should have vision to see what's coming. And because we have that vision to see what's coming, we need to warn those who are blind to it. See, a blind person can't see. You know, we say, well, why, why don't the people of the world see what's happening? Because they're blind. They don't see. It's only in Jesus Christ you have sight. How many times did Jesus give sight to the blind man? And the reason he did it was an example of the sight he gives to all people who call upon his name. There are blind people physically that have great sight spiritually in this life today. So the sight that's being talked about is the sight of understanding the times in which we're living. So let's look at Numbers 29, and I'm going to read verses 1 through 11. And in the seventh month, on the first day of the month, you shall have a holy convocation. That's a day set apart of celebrating the Lord. And you shall do no customary work, for it is the day of blowing the trumpets. This is the Feast of Trumpets. And you shall offer burnt offering as a sweet aroma to the Lord, one young bull, one ram, and seven lambs in their first year without blemish. Their grain offering shall be fine flour mixed with oil, three-tenths of an ephah for the bull, two-tenths uh, for the ram, and one-tenth for each of the seven lambs. Also, one kid of the goats as a sin offering to make atonement for you. Verse 6, besides the burnt offering with its grain offering for the new moon, the regular burnt offering and its grain offering and the drink offering according to their ordinances as a sweet aroma, an offering made by fire to the Lord. On the tenth day of the seventh month, you shall have a holy convocation, and you shall afflict your souls. You shall not do any work. You shall present a burnt offering to the Lord as a sweet aroma, one young bull, one ram, and seven lambs in their first year. Be sure they are without blemish. And that is important. We'll talk about that in a moment. 
Their grain offering shall be a fine flour mixed with oil, three-tenths of an ephah for the bull, two-tenths for the one ram, and one-tenth for each of the seven lambs. Also, one kid of the goats as a sin offering besides the sin offering for atonement, the regular burnt offering with its grain offering and their drink offering. So the Feast of Trumpets then, it marks the beginning of the last four Jewish feasts of the year. And it is a day that was commanded of God. And this was the beginning, of course, as I mentioned, Rosh Hashanah, which means head of the year in Hebrew, was the beginning of the civil year uh, for the Jewish people. And it ushered in a time of great festivity, the Jewish New Year. Now, the thing that's interesting, Rosh Hashanah, the Jewish New Year, was a time of great festivity because they were looking to the Lord. They were looking to his coming. And it's amazing that if you study your history, you'll find that the pagan world took the new year and turned it into something quite different, kind of like what we have today. I don't think there are too many people that celebrate the new year today, and it's kind of like, oh, praise God, this is great. You know, it's usually the way the pagans celebrate it. So anyway, that's just an interesting point. And so there's going to be a blowing of trumpets starting a new era, because here's what we have to realize, that according to the Jews, the blowing of the trumpets was to to start a new time for the Jews, for the Jewish people, where they would be able to repent and come into a new relationship with the Lord. And for you and I, the blowing of the trumpet, this last trumpet that we'll be talking about in a moment, is a time of celebration for us that we're going to come into a new era in the sense we're going to be with the Lord. And we'll look at the scriptures that point this out in a moment. Now, in 1 Corinthians, if you want to turn there, I'll wait for you to, to turn there. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, keep your um, finger in numbers, but turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and go to verse 50. First Corinthians 15, verse 50. Now this I say, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does corruptible inherit incorruptible. Behold, I tell you a mystery. That's taken from the Greek word mysterium, which means something that was not known, which now is known. I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet. Now notice, and I share this every time I go over it, it doesn't say the rapture of the church takes place in the twinkling of an eye. It says we're changed in the twinkling of an eye. We receive our glorified bodies in the twinkling of an eye. When we rise up, everyone will see it. Jesus said in the same manner, the angels said to the disciples, in the same manner you saw him rise, he shall return. And we will be visibly seen as we rise up to meet the Lord in the air. For the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised incorruptible and we shall be changed. So the dead in Christ rise first. For uh, this corruptible, our flesh, must put on incorruption and this mortal must put on immortality. So when this corruptible has put on incorruption and this mortal has put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written. Listen to this. Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your sting? O Hades, where is your victory? The sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us victory. How? Through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, 
My beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. So in other words, everything we're doing for the Lord is not in vain. It is preparing us for that day when Jesus is going to come back for his church and take us to meet him in the air. If you die before that day, you rise first. And then we who are left, we're going to be caught up together. We're going to receive glorified bodies. This mortal will put on immortality. This corruptible will put on incorruption. Can you imagine being in a place and having a spiritual body where you don't even know how to sin? Because we as believers, we love Jesus with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength, but we fall to sin. I mean, every day we, we have to go before the Lord in confession and repentance. You know, Lord, forgive me, a sinner. And the Lord does. And he takes our sin from us as far as the east is from the west and remembers them no more. But the reality is there's going to be a great and glorious day coming when we will receive glorified bodies, spiritual bodies that won't even know how to sin. All we'll be able to do is just glorify and worship the Lord. What a day that'll be. Now turn to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. First Thessalonians chapter 4, go to verse 16. First Thessalonians 4, 16. <clears throat> the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel. You notice not, it's not an angel, it's not some, you know, of, a, of one of the ancient prophets. The Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trumpet of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first, then we who are alive and remain shall be cut up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and thus we shall always be with the Lord. Therefore, comfort one another with these words. Brothers and sisters, we're living in a time it's good to be comforted, isn't it? And we can comfort one another with these words. Because here's the thing. I don't care what's happening politically. I don't care which news is right and which news is not right. What I care about is what this says. And this is the roadmap to the last days. This tells us about the time in which we're living. And we're to have no fear. We have comfort in the Lord. It's absolutely amazing when we look at what Scripture tells us. And if you're taking notes, in John chapter 14 and verses 1 through 4, listen to what it says. Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If, the, if it were not so, I would have told you. Listen, I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. Wow. And I know we have covered the Jewish marriage ceremonies, the ancient Jewish marriage ceremony, and once the man proposed to his bride, he had to go home and he had to prepare a place for her to move into an apartment on his father's house. And the groom could not come to receive his bride to take her to their apartment, to their home, until the father gave permission. That's why Jesus said, no one knows the day nor the hour, only the father. But once the father gave permission then the groom would come for his bride, who possibly he hasn't even seen for a year. 
and he had a group before him blowing trumpets. And that woke the bride up, saying, my groom is coming, and she'd get her wedding garments on, and then she would go out and meet the wedding party and go back to the father's house. What a picture of the rapture. What a picture of our being caught up to be with the Lord. It's absolutely amazing. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and verses 1 through 4, either if you're quick with your Bible or you have a phone, you can just type it in or write it down. 1 Thessalonians 5, 1 through 4, But concerning the times and seasons, brethren, you have no need that I should write to you. For you, you, you yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord so comes as a thief in the night. For when they say peace and safety, then sudden destruction comes upon them as labor pains on a pregnant woman, and they shall not escape. But you, brethren, okay, believers, are not in darkness so that this day should overtake you as a thief. So for the rest of the world, they're going to be absolutely shocked when Jesus comes. We're not supposed to be shocked. We're not supposed to be surprised. No one knows the day near the hour, but the Scripture tells us as believers we're to know the season in which we're living before his return. And this is the season. This is the season. You think of, you know... The Jews couldn't go in and take over Canaan until the sins of the Amorites reached their fullness. In other words, God wasn't going to bring judgment on that nation so that Israel could go in and defeat them and take over their land until their sin became so pervasive and so ugly that it had to be destroyed. And we look at our world today, and it has become so ugly, and sin has become so pervasive when you figure over one million babies in the United States are murdered in the womb every year. I was a biology major. Life begins at conception. You know, doesn't, well, it's just as I go to that point. No, the minute fertilization takes place, you have life. There's development. And so we are living in a time that we see nothing wrong with that. Every lifestyle you can imagine is okay. People are encouraged to live together outside of the bonds of marriage, contrary to the Word of God. This world has gone insane. Lawlessness, murder, mayhem, corruption, it's all around us. The sin of the Amorites has become full. And the Lord is going to come back and take His church out before He brings His judgment. Because Scripture says you're not appointed unto wrath but into peace. So he's going to take us out before all this happens. Now, concerning the times in which we're living, this is what Scripture says we'll see in the last days. Matthew 24 and verses 12 and 13. And because lawlessness will abound, in other words, that's what you see all around you, the love of many will grow cold, but he who endures to the end shall be saved. I think we can all Agree, lawlessness is all about us. The Bible prophesied that that would happen. We're living in a time of lawlessness, and I'm not just talking about rioting and looting and breaking, you know, in, into people's houses and stuff like that. I'm talking about lawlessness in relationship to the Word of God as well. You know, 
People live together in every kind of marriage situation you can imagine. And, you know, uh, homosexuality is accepted. Uh, changing your, your sex, you know, to be transgender and, and, and so forth is accepted. Now, here's the thing. Being a, a math science major, one of the things that I know is that every single person, if they have a chromosome test, either you're XY or you're XX, it doesn't flow back and forth. You're either one or the other. And the Bible has something very specific to say about it. And we have to realize that this world has gotten to a place where, remember what it, it tells us in Scripture in the last days, good will be taken for evil, and evil will be taken for good. So if you say, well, I think homosexuality is wonderful. I think it's okay if someone transgenders. I think it's okay if someone has them. I think that's, that's wonderful. And you're accepted. Oh, you're, you're wonderful. But if you come out and you say, you know what? I don't hate anyone. I want people to know the truth. But it's wrong. It's wrong to have an abortion. It's wrong to think you can transgender between one sex and another. It's wrong to have a homosexual ma marriage. You're looked at as evil, right? Good shall be taken for evil, and evil shall be taken for good. That's a direct prophecy from the Bible, and we're in that time right now. Now, there are seven trumpets uh, you know, during the Feast of Trumpets that are trumpets of judgment. There's actually 10 days of trumpets, but the third to the 10th day, the, those seven days are what they call the days of repentance. Now, think about this. So, when those trumpets are blown in Israel during this time period, and there's still some semblance of it today in, in Israel. But when the seven trumpets are blown, each day the trumpet is blown, it is a time of repentance. God, forgive me, a sinner. And each day for seven days, the trumpet is blown as asking for a time of forgiveness. And according to the Jewish tradition, when the last trump is blown, the seventh, seventh trumpet of repentance, but the tenth trumpet of the Feast of Trumpets, if you follow what I'm saying. When that last trumpet is blown, the time to repent has ended. No longer is there time to repent. And that's amazing because we have to understand that Jesus Christ, when he comes for his church, the time for repentance before God's wrath is poured out on the world has ended. Many people will, will, be, will be saved, will come to the Lord during the tribulation, but they, they will experience God's wrath. Now, these are the fulfilled spring prophecies, or, you know, the fulfilled spring festivals, which were very prophetic, that we'll be talking about. First, you have Passover. And Passover, which began on the 14th of Nisan, our March, April, and um, we all know what Passover was all about. In Egypt... The last plague that God brought on the Egyptians that they would allow the children of Israel to be free was the fact that there would be a plague of the death of the firstborn. But in God's mercy, he said, anyone who offers up a lamb and takes the blood of the lamb and puts it on the lentil and doorpost of their house, the angel of death will pass over them. Their firstborn will not die. That's why it's called the Passover. And for you and I, Jesus Christ, who was crucified on the Passover, his blood on the lentils and doorposts, you know, euphemistically, of our heart causes the angel of death to pass over us. We have not been appointed unto death. 
We might die physically, but we haven't died. We're body, soul, and spirit. The body might perish, but who we really are never perishes. And death, the second death, passes over us, and we go right to be with the Lord. What a beautiful fulfillment of prophecy on the 10th. Now, it's interesting, too, because the Passover was on the 14th day of Nisan, and on the 10th day of Nisan, what they would do is they would take the lamb and set it aside, and they would observe it for four days to make sure it had no blemish. Because like we just read, it had to be without blemish. It repeated it over and over without blemish. So they would take the lamb, they would set it aside, and they would observe the lamb for four days. And if it was without blemish, it was proper to sacrifice it for the sin of the people. How interesting that what we call the triumphant entry, the day Jesus entered in on a donkey, was the 10th of Nisan. And for four days, Jesus stayed in Jerusalem, in the temple, and he was observed by the people to be perfect. And then in the Passover, he was sacrificed. It's absolutely amazing to see fulfillment of prophecy. And I wish everyone knew how Jesus fulfilled these prophecies. It might open their eyes to the truth. Now, the next feast day we had was called the Feast of Unleavened Bread. And this, this feast begins on the 15th, the day after the Passover of Nisan, and lasts seven days. The first day and the last day were holy convocations. And, uh, and the, re- the reason they celebrated the, the Feast of Unleavened Bread is because leaven has, was always a representation of sin. And remember when the children of Israel came out of Egypt, they had to bring unleavened bread. They didn't have time to put leaven in it. They brought unleavened bread. But all through Scripture, and we'll look at a couple verses in a moment, leaven was always analogized to sin. And so the Feast of Unleavened Bread is the, the, the Feast of Removing Sin from Our Heart. Now, in 1 Corinthians 5, 6, it tells us that through Jesus, all sin is removed, and we are unleavened because of Jesus. Isn't that amazing? That's what Jesus has done for us. Now, the Feast of First Fruits, and this feast began on the 16th, it's nice, and speaks to us of Jesus being the first fruit from the dead. So you had the Passover so that we're forgiven. You had the Feast of Unleavened Bread that we might be purified from all sin. And now we have the Feast of Fruits. That means that we are going, it speaks of Jesus being the first fruit from the dead. And brothers and sisters, we are going to be part of that first fruit from the dead. In 1 Corinthians 15, 20, it tells us this. See, his resurrection and you and I being with him one day were all prophesied. When Jesus rose from the dead, he was the first fruit from the dead. Well, what does that mean? It means there's going to be other fruit. You don't say something's the first fruit if if that's it. And the other fruit from the dead is going to be you and I. In 1 John chapter 3, verse 14, if you write that down, we know that we have passed from death to life because we love the brethren. Wow. We passed from death to life. In other words, we before we, we, before we received Jesus Christ, 
Scripture tells us we were dead in transgression and sin. In other words, we had no relationship with God. We had no hope of eternal life. But in Jesus, we've been made alive. And we have the Holy Spirit as a sign and seal and deposit of our redemption that we're going to be with the Lord. It's absolutely amazing to see how God works. And, uh, but it's interesting here, too, that it tells us if you love the brethren. If you read the, re- the, the rest of that verse, it tells us if you don't love the brethren, you're not his. Well, of course we love the brethren, do we? Do we love certain brethren and not others? Are there certain people that we're willing to reach out to and others we're not willing to reach out to? Well, we're supposed to love all the brethren. And then next, of course, we have the Feast of Pentecost, the Greek, uh, uh, taken from the Greek word, which means 50. And that was on the sixth day of Shabbat. Shabbat. Uh, And the law was given on this day setting apart Israel as a nation. This is so amazing. So on the day of Pentecost, the 50 days after, um, it, the law was given to the children of Israel that would set them apart as a nation, different from any other nation in the world because they had the commands of God. Now how interesting that in Acts chapter 2 and verses 1 through 4, it tells us the Holy Spirit was given to the church on the day of Pentecost. It says, when the day of Pentecost had fully come, um, let me put my glasses on, they were all with one accord in one place, and suddenly came the sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. Uh, Then there appeared to them divided tongues as of fire, and one sat upon each of them, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. That's when the church was birthed. The first Pentecost, Israel was birthed. The next Pentecost, the church was birthed. How amazing is that? Now we move to the unfulfilled fall feast that might be closer than we think. First, you have the Feast of Trumpets, which we're talking about here. And that was the first of Tishri, our October 7th. And this was the last day for the Jews to repent of their sins before the Day of Atonement. When Jesus comes for his church, there will no longer be any time to repent before his wrath is poured out on the world. And that's the reason it's so important for you and I to recognize that we have to tell people before that last trump comes. They need to repent because, yeah, they can come to the Lord after the rapture of the church, but they're going to experience all the tribulations of this world. They're going to experience, you know, the seven years of tribulation, the wrath of God being poured out. They're going to be here. Now, many of, of, the, of the things that it tells us in Revelation that God is going to pour out on the world, the believers will be freed from. For instance, the scorpions that come out of the bottomless pit. It won't touch those that that refuse to worship Satan. And those that have the seal of God in their forehead, it it will spare them. Then we have the Day of Atonement, which is the 10th day of Tishri, our mid-October. And this is fulfilled in Christ returning to earth when his anointing sacrifice for redemption of all the tribulation saints because many people will come to salvation during the tribulation. I believe the greatest revival the world has ever seen will be during the tribulation. And plus, you have one-third of all the Jews 
that are alive when the tribulation begins commit their lives to Jesus Christ, and they're taken and, and they're actually um, secured and, and kept safe for the last three and a half of the years of the tribulation in the wilderness that many people believe is Petra. And then there will also be Gentiles who will come to the Lord during this time, many of them. And so when Jesus comes back, it will be that day of uh, redemption for them. And then we have the Feast of Tabernacles, which is the 15th day of Tishri, and our late October. And this refers to when Christ will dwell with us on earth, beginning what is called the millennial reign of Christ. And we read this in Revelation chapter 20 and verse 4, and I saw thrones, and they sat on them, and judgment was committed to them. Then I, that's we believers who have, uh, who have been taken up to uh, heaven to Jesus in the rapture, and we return with him. We're going to reign with Christ, it tells us. But then it goes on to say, and um, then I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded for their witness of Jesus Christ and for the word of God. In other words, those during the tribulation who died because they would not turn their back on Jesus, who had not worshipped the beast or his image and had not received his mark on their foreheads or their hands. And they lived and they reigned with Christ for a thousand years. Wow. <clears throat> now here's the amazing thing. Probably a lot of you don't know about the red heifer. And I would encourage you to go into your concordance, into your, in fact, if you go to Numbers 19, just write Numbers 19 down. It talks about the red heifer. And some of you say, I never heard of the red heifer. What does a red heifer have to do with anything? It has a lot to do with everything. Because the reality is, even if the temple was sitting on, on Temple Mount right now, the Jews couldn't go up there and sacrifice uh, the lamb. They couldn't go up and do the, uh, you know, any of the priestly activities that they were commanded to do. You know why? They're unclean. And according to what we read here in Numbers 19, what had to happen is you had to have a red heifer that was two, at least two years of age and was without blemish. In other words, it had no blemish on it, and it had no more than two white hairs. That heifer then was taken, and it was sacrificed and burnt, and the ashes of that red heifer was taken and was put in water, and that water was used to purify and cleanse the priests and the people. So until we had, you know, until they have ashes from a red heifer, they can't purify the people or the priests in order to do these priestly activities on Temple Mountain. Anyway, so in other words, the, 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 thir the, fourth, the third temple would be of no value to them because they can't purify their priests. Well, it's interesting, according to the Temple Institute from Israel, you can go online and look it up, they have two red heifers that they're watching. And so far, both of them have met all the qualifications. And one article that we looked at last night was saying that the Temple Institute suggests that it's possible this year, in August, they're going to sacrifice a red heifer for the first time in 2,000 years. If that's not significant, then I don't understand what would be. Because that means that when, those, when that red heifer is sacrificed and the ashes are taken and put into water, now they, they can... 
anoint the priests. They can anoint the people that they're clean for worshiping the Lord. And understand this. The third temple doesn't have to be built for this sacrifice and for this worship to begin. Remember where the sacrifice and the worship began? In a tabernacle in the wilderness. Right now, you know, I've had the privilege of being, uh, going to Israel for three times, and I've been in the Temple Institute. Everything that is necessary for the temple is there. Everything. It's all done. According to Scripture, they build it all. All they're waiting for is the, are, are the ashes of the red heifer to purify, and they can start sacrificial worship, which is what we're told in Revelation will, will take place because it tells us in the middle of their sacrificing uh, to the Lord is ended by the Antichrist. So we know for the first three and a half years of the tribulation, the Jews are doing their normal sacrifice. So the ashes of the red heifer have to be done. So it's interesting to me if the article we read is true. And of course you've got, you, you never know. I know the, the two red heifers, I know that's true. I mean, I've read all kinds of articles from the you know, Israeli Temple Institute and so forth. They do have two red heifers. But if they sacrificed that red heifer on August 28th, like they're saying they would, they have what's necessary for beginning temple worship. And then guess what? If that took place in August, then in September, the Feast of Trumpets comes. What if that's the last trump? What if that's the last trump? And the dead in Christ rise first. No one knows the day nor the hour, but the Bible commands us that you, brethren, are not in darkness that this day should overtake you as a thief in the night. We're to be aware of the season in which we're living. We're living in the season. I think we can look around our world and say the hearts of men have waxed cold. We can look around our world and we can say the sin of the Amorites is full. It's time for the Lord to come for his church and for his judgment to fall upon a, a pagan worshiping world. Father, we come before you in Jesus' name, and I pray, Heavenly Father, that you would use this teaching to encourage each one of us to be sober, to be diligent, and to look to the times in which we're living and to be evangelists everywhere we go. And I pray, Father, that if there be any here who are not born again of the Spirit, who have not committed their life to you, this would be the day of their salvation, that they would simply say, God, forgive me a sinner and take over my life. That's all the prayer of confession is. And you will enter in and be their Lord and their God, and you will give them the sign, seal, and deposit of the Holy Spirit, the deposit that we will be redeemed in the rapture. And I pray this in Christ Jesus' name, amen and amen. Now, we're going to be sharing communion for the first time. Now, let me share this with each one of you, okay? I don't want anyone to be nervous. I don't want anyone to feel on the spot. If you feel uncomfortable in taking communion, it's okay. You will not be judged. But communion is a time that we remember everything that Jesus Christ had done. Remember in the Last Supper, he broke... It actually would have been the unleavened bread, what we call matzah crackers. He broke it to pass around to his disciples. He said, this is my body broken for you. Then he took the cup, the wine. We use grape juice, but the wine. And he said, in my blood is the new covenant. The new covenant. 
No longer is it the law that holds us bound, but now we're set free from the law. Not to ignore the law, but to fulfill it in Jesus Christ through confession and repentance and His grace, mercy, and love. So when we share communion, it's such a beautiful testimony to the the unseen world and to our own hearts that we belong to Jesus and we accept His sacrifice in our behalf. And so, if you feel comfortable and so led, we encourage you to participate. Father, we come before you in Jesus' name, and we thank you for this covenant. And I pray, Father, that everyone who participates would have their mind and thoughts on all that you've done for us and the nearness of your return. And so, Lord, I pray that you would prepare each one of our hearts to receive this sacrament. And I pray in Jesus' name, amen and amen. If I could have my ushers come forward. All two of you. (laughs) Stricken, smitten, and afflicted, see him dying on the tree. Tis the Christ by man rejected. Yes, my soul, tis he, tis he, tis the long-expected prophet, David's son, yet David's Lord, by his son God now has spoken, tis the Jesus Christ gave his life willingly that we might live. 
His body was broken and his blood spilled that our sins and transgressions might be fully and completely forgiven and that we would receive the sign, the seal, and deposit of his Holy Spirit that when he comes back for his church, we would go with him. And Jesus said that he would participate with this sacrament with us in heaven. What a worship day that'll be. And so it tells us in Scripture we're to be doing this in remembrance of all that he's done for us. Therefore, take and eat and drink and be so thankful to your Lord. Thank you, Lord, for this sacrament. Thank you for your word. Thank you for your love. And we praise Heavenly Father. We pray, Lord, that you would cause us to be worthy to escape all the things that are coming upon the face of this whole earth. And the only way we're counted worthy is not any effort of our own, but simple surrender, saying, Jesus, take over my life. And Lord, we confess this, and we ask, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. And God bless you, my dear friends.